Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. Our scriptural journey over recent episodes has been in the Sermon on the Mount. We have seen some important lessons on how Jesus interacts with the ancient law of Moses. This is something of great significance to both the Jews and the modern Christian. In these interactions, Jesus has been showing us how its spirit had been lost in the way that it had been practiced and taught by the first century Jewish leaders. So far, the issue of anger, lust, vows and marriage have been covered already. We're going to look even further in this episode by looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. I'm going to read that to you now. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now Jesus is referring to a rule found in Exodus chapter 21 and it is part of a larger portion that pertains to personal injury. Let me read a part of that to you now and take note of where this line that Jesus quotes is found. Now suppose two men are fighting and in the process they accidentally strike a pregnant woman so she gives birth prematurely. If no further injury results, the man who struck the woman must pay the amount of compensation the woman's husband demands and the judges approve. But if there is further injury, the punishment must match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. If a man hits his male or female slave in the eye, and the eye is blinded, he must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. And if a man knocks out the tooth of his male or female slave, he must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. If an ox gores a man or woman to death, the ox must be stoned and its flesh may not be eaten. In such a case, however, the owner will not be held liable. But suppose the ox had a reputation for goring, and the owner had been informed but failed to keep it under control. If the ox then kills someone, it must be stoned and the owner must also be put to death. However, the dead person's relatives may accept payment to compensate for the loss of life. The owner of the ox may redeem his life by paying whatever is demanded. Can you see the intention of the law at work here? It's not permission per se to take eyes, teeth or even lives as a justification for retaliation. It's a recipe for prevention of such outcomes. It wasn't licensed to go looking for trouble. It was a charge to God's people to stay out of it. If you fought and someone got injured, you would be liable and what others lost, you will pay for. If you are irresponsible with a one-ton-plus animal, you will pay for that. If you abuse slaves, it will cost you. This was not a prescription for retaliation. It was a prescription for personal responsibility. It provided a guide for a judicial system to ensure adequate justice for people who were innocent victims. And it prevented the victim from taking matters into their own hands. 
This law made absolutely no provision for personal vendettas or acts of revenge because these things were never deemed appropriate for God's people. And there is no scope for a follower of Jesus to seek revenge on those that cheat or wrong them. We can see this clearly as Jesus explains himself in our passage today. He starts with the cultural bombshell of turning the other cheek. Even today in Middle Eastern society, the slap across the face is the highest of insults and shows of contempt. This was also something the Old Testament spoke of concerning the work of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Jesus, who being God, had every reason to retaliate and execute justice, offered his own face, his back, his hands and feet to be repeatedly harmed and mangled. Yet his response was to ask the Father to forgive them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this attitude an active participation in his own cross. After the slap in the face part, Jesus continues with a radical judicial example. If you're being sued for the shirt off your back, well, give them your coat as well. And we're also shown a radical response to those who ask for help or provision. If you've got something others need, don't withhold it. If it's in your power to help another person, well, do just that. As we read all these examples, it really looks like a case of doubling down on anything that is asked of us. It seems the complete opposite of retaliation may well be radical generosity. But this radical idea gets real pretty quickly as Jesus speaks here too. Remember here that Israel was in a situation where some in Jesus' audience were crying out for retaliation, the zealots in particular. And Jesus says this to them, if a soldier, even an oppressing pagan Roman soldier who is legally permitted to make you carry his kit for a mile, if that soldier chooses you to be that person, don't fight him. Instead, do double. As far as Jesus is concerned, this is the default attitude and stance of anyone following him. He says, don't be a person who retaliates because in a little while, a cross will come and for your sake, I won't either. The old time preacher, Charles Spurgeon, once said that in such instances, if evil people are the hammer, we are to be as the anvil. We are not soft or weak for acting in such a way. Instead, through the character trait of meekness, the power of retaliation in this case comes under godly restraint. And the result is a practical Christ-like response. I can hurt you for wronging me, or I can bravely love you, because Jesus, my master, loved me like that first. And in responding this way, we are trusting the Lord's promise that if any vengeance is due, it's his to administer. We can be sure that anything done to us is not going to go unnoticed by him. Now is a good time to read just a little further into what Jesus is saying here. Let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father 
is perfect. Now, that first line is really interesting and indicates something has gone a little astray in the first century when teaching God's law to the people. Love your neighbor is very much a part of the law of Moses. But what about this bit about hating your enemy? That's definitely not there. Leviticus 19 verses 17 to 18 says this, Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In this teaching from Jesus, righteousness that outshines the way the Pharisees taught it becomes very clear. He calls for a radical reinterpretation of what loving your neighbor looks like. And there was to be none of these silly scribe and Pharisee additions to something that God held so dear. Jesus says this, You have heard the rabbis teach you to love neighbors and hate enemies. But with the authority vested in me, I say love prevails. Heed the Levitical call, love your neighbor, I am the Lord. Because God is like that, Jesus reminds us, so must we be. This short passage gives us some pretty clear lessons to consider. The first is the scope or the specific expression of the love we are called to operate in. You might not know this, but in the Greek language of the day, there was a range of words we could easily render in English as love. In English, the object of our love usually determines what we mean. We'll say, I love my wife, I love my car, I love a good steak, I love this warm weather. And in each of these cases, the word love will have a different meaning because of the object and the context. In the ancient Greek, there were more specific words. And I'm going to get a little bit nerdy again for a moment. Philia speaks of a loving, close relationship. This word is used quite a lot in the New Testament. Eros spoke of that more primal and romantic love, if you know what I mean. And Storge talked about that blood is thicker than water approach we can often have in families. And then there was an expression of love that was unconditional. That word is agape. Agape is a little more common and diluted now. But in the first century, this was mind-blowing in its application. Like mercy, it sprang from the very nature of the giver and was not dependent on the recipient feeling the same way. It was a commitment to a person that sought their greatest good despite how we might feel about them. Agape is undiscriminating and without condition. And in that sense, it describes well the love God has for us. And it's that sort of love that Jesus is calling for here, to let agape propel us and empower us so much that even our enemies benefit. Agape calls us to pray for those that persecute us. Agape is to be offered even to enemies, to those who are hostile to us and have done nothing to earn it. Agape helps us to see past their actions, and instead it calls us to see how precious they are to God. Jesus then explains that God, who is love, has been working this way all along. He causes the sun to shine on everyone regardless of where they stand with him. He causes the rain to fall and water the whole earth for the sake of everyone, not just those who love him back. There is no discrimination or difference or partiality in the way God extends his love. And that's something we are called to consider in our own expression also. The second lesson is to define the concept of neighbor. The Pharisees made that a narrow definition of just their own countrymen. In Jesus' time, it couldn't even extend to the Samaritans next door, let alone anyone beyond that. 
Such a narrow view then allowed for and even permitted the concept of hatred. There was a clear discrimination here that Jesus would not tolerate, and to him the Pharisees were no better than the pagan societies around them. So in terms of how a follower of Jesus interacts with other people, he says this, don't just do what the world half expects anyway. Don't just love the convenient people in your life. Go well beyond that. Love without discrimination, without condition, without limit. Offer love in this radical way even to your enemies. And do this because it reflects the love your master Jesus has for you. You never know, as you pray for and love your persecutors and enemies, they may one day become your brother. In just a few years from here, this would indeed be the case. The first non-Jewish family to join the church was that of a Roman soldier. The third lesson to take away from Jesus' teaching on love here is the perfect family likeness with God. When we act this way, we will be acting as true children of our Father in heaven. The last verse of this passage shows us something powerful. If we can go beyond the pagan concept of love and live from the perspective of agape, we'll then be perfect. Now, I'd love to explain here that this means we all become flawless beings, but that's not quite the case here. Perfection in this passage is not the sense of being without flaw or failure. The Greek word used here is a common one in the New Testament. It is tilios. This means to be mature, complete, or of full age. Utter perfection comes when Jesus restores all things in eternity. But the goal in this life is tilios, deep maturity in all things pertaining to faith. And the pinnacle of that sort of life is the ability to love like Jesus does. It's the ability to love somebody else whether they've earned it or not. It's the ability to fall on our knees in prayer for the welfare of someone hostile to us. It's the ability to consider all people as neighbors worthy of our love, no matter how inconvenient they may be. And it's the ability to turn the other cheek and double down when others make demands of us. It's the ability to be as strong as an anvil when evil comes with the hammer. Again, let me remind you that a follower of Jesus lives an empowered life. The righteousness we have is better than the way of the Pharisee because the righteousness we have is given to us by Christ. It's not earned on our merit. Through this righteousness, we are empowered to choose mercy instead of retaliation. We are empowered to love, not hate. We are empowered to extend our limits of the word neighbor to the point that enemies can become brothers. And you'll know you're growing up as a mature believer in Jesus when you see those sorts of actions and attitudes coming out in your life. We're now going to finish this episode with a word of prayer. Jesus, please help me to truly love my neighbor. Help me to open my heart to both of those huge challenges that are found in this idea. Help me to love the way you call me to and to widen my view of who my neighbor actually is. And Jesus, help me to leave all retaliation to you. I trust that you are the one who vindicates those who are wronged. So instead, I will pray for those who persecute and love even my enemies because your spirit in me empowers me to do just that. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.